Hey, Scott, I think this is something you can probably relate to. Um, the the air here sucks real bad. Yeah. You know, I didn't feel like it was necessary for you to share this experience with me, but hey, welcome. Thank you. Welcome. How bad is it there right now? It was worse yesterday. It was definitely worse yesterday. Um, I think we got like a tiny bit of rain yesterday, so like that helped a little bit, but... You know how, like, when you have a jello mold in the fridge too long and it kind of gets hard around the edges? I do not. I do. absolutely do not. I'll send you one. <laughs> you can send jello through the uh, US. I, you can Postal try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, might need, you might need some dry ice in that mm. package. Yeah. I know. We'll see what happens. <laughs> that and uh, my throat feels like I smoked a carton of cigarettes. That does explain the empty carton of cigarettes. Right. Well, it's because I smoked it. (laughs) Didn't smoke all. Yeah. I feel like we're experiencing like when California gets snow and Chicago is like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 People text me. They're like, yeah, it's in the orange. I'm like, oh, you're on the scale. That's cute. Uh, but no, seriously. Uh, I mean, we don't all need to pretty uh, habitually experience this shared misery of climate change. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're pretty consistently in the yellow to low orange. I think because of the like the various cracker plants and shit outside of the city. Like the, <laughs> yeah, like, like the. I thought you the, meant okay. like an organic, not, not, not like, not like oh, God damn it, not not like the eating crackers, like the like the like the shale crackers, like the like the gas. Yeah, well, I thought it was way things. worse than both those things, but <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's. What did you think? It you know was? where they grow? No, we're recording I'm crackers. <laughs> shit, Joe. <laughs> All right, where they make yes. the whites? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, I've been to outside the city. <laughs> I've met those whites. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, has anybody seen any video of people in New York playing the like score to Dune? Oh, no. <laughs> I've seen a little bit of that. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. This is vaguely Middle Eastern-esque chanting. Right. While just, the sky is just like completely orange. Red orange. Yeah. <laughs> it just looks like See, every movie that, that they've ever filmed in Mexico ever. <laughs> yeah, I, I I saw a lot of I saw a lot of oh the uh, the Mexico filter has made its way to New York or the racist filter they used to film Middle East scenes has made its way to New York. Yep, no color, it's just pretty great. orange. Yep. <sighs> good thing we're talking about something happy. Yeah, good thing. Yeah, good thing we're talking about like, a light, a lighthearted topic today, and not the uh, not the horrible climate crisis that's <laughs> bearing down on all of us. Oddly enough, from Canada this time. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Thank goodness. What are we talking about? Oh, Dune. Oh, oh we're talking about Matrix Four. About I would prefer to talk about. Dune. Oh God. <laughs> I would. Ra- let's talk about the Writers Guild yeah. instead. Uh, yeah, well, let's, let's talk yeah, about let's labor do that. Hey. Instead. 
<laughs> hey everybody, welcome to Derazzled, uh, the podcast that tries to take award-winning worst films and fix them, uh, except for when uh, there's a whole bunch of other shit in the entertainment industry to talk about. I'm your host, Joe Nealis. With me, as always, is also host, Jack Culbertson. Howdy. And uh, joining us today as a, uh, a special guest for a second time this season... Uh, to not talk about anything Kirk Cameron oh, related God. is our uh, our fellow Ramming Speed Pictures friend uh, Scott McGrath. Hello, glad to be here with the homies to talk about organized labor. That's right. We're talking about the WGA or Writers Guild of America strike that is currently in. Is it was sixth, seventh week now. I count sometimes. Jack counts sometimes. That's about as good as I'm gonna get right now. It's been going on for over a month, over a month and a half at this point, and it's not showing any signs of stopping. There's a lot to talk about with this. A lot of a lot of um, just news coming from all fronts, pretty much uh, regarding the strike itself and regarding uh, the negotiations of the other uh, entertainment guilds. But first, let's uh, Scott. What what made you want to talk about this today? Uh. It's, I think it's, I mean, it's one of those interwoven issues right now that is like, seems like everything that comes up these days intersects with so many other aspects of society. Um, and as we both talk about and make movies, it seems kind of impossible to ignore because it affects the entire industry and has ramifications for the entire industry for years and years to come. Yeah, I mean, it's already come up in a couple of our episodes here as we've been getting toward the end of season two. Because, again, how how do you not bring it up? Yeah, and it's, um, you know, it's it's kind of that necessary evil stage right now where obviously this affects the entire industry and a lot of people are out of work because of it that are not writers. Um, and so there's there's sensitive issues there because... People want what's best for everyone, but also people need to feed their families. So there's a lot of conversations coming from every side. And uh, like you said, doesn't seem like we're going to resolve it anytime soon. So, And I think Stranger Things season five is going to get delayed, which is pretty uncool. Yeah, it is. It, they, yeah, they did announce that uh, season five is going to be delayed uh, for a little while there. <laughs> there's this episode of Community uh-huh. uh, where they'll get trapped in the study room and Abed's like, so he's autistic. Um, and he's like, I've got nothing to do with this episode because it's all about minute character details and backstory. I'm just going to sit here. And that's kind of how I feel right now. <laughs> where, where I'm like, I've got, I've got like a page and a half of widely spaced notes. Um, Cause I guess I'm trying to impress myself. I and mean, you took notes. I so did. I, I did I not did. have time to do that. Uh, so. But I, I would be lying if I said anything you just said, either of you, stayed in my brain. That's fine. At all. That's fine. I, we recorded it. It's yeah. <laughs> so it can, it can get a second go of going one in the air. Yep. Yeah, the other. Uh, great. <laughs> um, I agree. This is important. And I pay union dues, not to this union, but to no. a union. And I hear that is a good thing. Ideally, yeah. Um, I, I, I think we've mentioned before I'm not in a union currently just because my workplace doesn't have one. Uh, but if I were, I would. So if you see kind of like an empty look in my eye, it's because it, it, it's empty. Uh, ah. Apologies. <laughs> I do like to say the word IATSE. Hey, IATSE is we're a good. We're going to say it a lot today. I feel as relevant 
Yeah. Sure are. I can do that part. Jack, what is IATSE? The International Alliance of Theater Tamed People. So close. <laughs> Theatrical stage employees. Very close. You did, you got like three, you got like three fifths of the way there, which honestly, considering what, how your brain is doing, I didn't say piss right. once. You didn't say <laughs> you didn't say piss or come once. That entire definition, <laughs> I did a good. <laughs> now, Scott, if I'm not mistaken, you are a member of IATSE. Am I correct? Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm a member of the local 488, which is uh, the Northwest's largest local that comprises a lot of trades. Um, so most of IATSE is broken down into all these locals that are mostly regional and those regional locals comprise a number of trades. Um, there are some trades that are not regional and they're like international. So like 600 comprises, uh, cinematographers, uh, camera assistants, basically camera department people. And so instead of being like your local here and there, the local 600 covers all of those camera folks uh, internationally, as opposed to something like the 488, which comprises carpenters, electricians, grips, wardrobe, most of the craft and trades people for the area of like Washington, Oregon, uh, Idaho, part of Montana, and I think like Northern California. And if I'm not mistaken, I think it's eight nine three is the animation guild. If I if if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. Another example of uh, of one that is uh, international. So there are nice. a gazillion locals across um, the country and technically the world, um, and it's pretty confusing because not all of them are locals in a sense that they're <laughs> local to that area. They are simply a chapter, I guess you could think of it as. Okay. I have something to add to this. Do part. it. Nice. Uh, so during the Writers Guild strike of, I think, 1988, there was some argument over whether or not specifically people who write for animated movies should be brought into the Writers Guild. Right. Um, because traditionally, and by traditionally, I mean Mr. Walt Disney the way that he wrote his animated features was by storyboarding them first and then adding dialogue like much later. Right. Um, so the animators are part of IATSE instead of WGA. Uh, and during that particular strike, they were, tr they tried to bring them into the WGA, but they like lost. And the WGA was like, sorry. If I'm not mistaken, there was also a sticking point in the 2007-2008 strike where they wanted they wanted to bring uh, animated features uh, under the uh, uh, under the jurisdiction of the WGA instead of uh, the Animation Guild, and I think that was one of the various provisions that was jettisoned before a final uh, agreement was reached. I think that and quote unquote reality TV shows. Yes, and also. You're right. It, it totally was for the 2006, not not the 1988. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was I wouldn't have been surprised if it had come up more than once, right, honestly, because right. well, it is one of, one of those things where it like it is kind of a strange, nebulous uh, like division. Because right, you'd think that there'd be like some crossover there, or maybe you'd qualify for both or something. It's yeah. 
Is that a thing, Scott? Can you be a part of both guilds? Yeah, you can be a part of as many as you want, as far as I know. You can be in, you know, not just... Uh, you can be in multiple IATSE locals. You can also be in IATSE locals and the DGA and SAG and all the other guilds and unions as well. Um, I don't think there's any restrictions there. Usually the the membership requirements for each local are pretty... Once you're in, you're in. So some of them are local locals. Like, for instance, Northwest one, you'd have to work in the Northwest for some period of time. But like once you're in, you can go to Missouri and join a local there gotcha. and work in both jurisdictions without restriction. The membership becomes transferable, basically. Yeah, you can transfer uh, pretty easily and you can maintain membership in multiple locations as, as well as nice. multiple uh, crafts within a local and multiple locals that are different craft jurisdictions. So like you could be in the cinematographers and as a gaffer in a different local. So what are the, what are the current state of things for anybody who's not been keeping up with the strike? That's a great question. Uh, so if you have not been keeping up with the Writers Guild strike and just been wondering what the hell's happening with the shows that I like, uh, so the Writers Guild of America was negotiating with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which is the uh, kind of conglomeration of the uh, studios and streamers that produce the content. Some people think that it, is, that it is like the producers guild, but it's not that. It's literally like the bosses, like the people who hire everybody hmm. to make the content, the executives and whatnot. Oh, um, okay. So uh, they are the governing body that every that all of the various guilds have to do their negotiations with to get contracts in place. Uh, the Writers Guild had some very specific uh, demands that they wanted met particularly in ter in terms of the size and length of writers rooms uh as streaming has kind of exploded and the number of shows being uh uh being piloted or uh or greenlit has uh well it's in some ways grown but in also some ways shrank because the length of seasons of shows right. have gone way way down uh if you've been paying any attention for the past 30 years a lot of writers' rooms have been uh, short-staffed, uh, consisting sometimes of as few as four writers for an entire season of television, and then they are only contracted, for, in a lot of cases, for the duration of that room, and then, and then when they hit the end time of that room's duration, they are then very frequently asked to do revisions of episodes independently outside of that room for no additional pay. Which, especially if you're writing serialized television, that shit's really hard. Yeah. Uh, they are also looking for protections against the use of AI in the writing process, and f to make sure that there are that there's open access to uh, to the set of productions for writers, so that more writers are able to get that hands-on experience of working during a production, and that they're able to train to get the additional training and know-how necessary to eventually become the next wave of showrunners and continue the cycle of people knowing how to make television, more or less. Okay, that makes more sense, because in one of the previous strikes, they wanted to have the writers have more say as far as like being on set, and I couldn't figure out exactly why. I mean, like oftentimes they'll be there to make revisions on set, but even yes. aside from that, but if they are trying to specifically learn so that they can become showrunners, 
that makes sense to me. Yeah, that that is part of it. Is is it's with the way the mini rooms work and the length of time that they're working in those rooms, uh, they aren't getting enough exposure to really understand the full process of how how the ideas get formed into scripts, get turned into episodes, get actually produced, and what that looks like on the other side of things. Like, seeing what happens behind the camera, seeing how the crews interact, seeing all the logistics of everything. And, you know, that's going to create a problem in a, in a number of years when, like, right. the current crop of, like, well-known showrunners decide to hang it up. And who do you have to step into their place? Real Logan's Run conundrum. I haven't seen Logan's Run, so I... It was a very accurate joke. <laughs> okay. In, in 1976, it. was very funny. <laughs> Killed that's what, I, you know, that's what I've always heard about. That's always what I've heard about 1976, just yeah. objectively hilarious to hear. <laughs> You're thinking of 1776. Right, just an absolute riot. Um... <laughs> 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 uh, how about the other guilds? Because there's also been a lot of there has interplay. been play. Yeah, there's there's got been a lot of stuff happening with the other guilds as well. Specifically, the Directors Guild of America or DGA and uh, the Screen Actors Guild uh, SAG or SAG AFTRA, if you want to be you know yeah. specific. But what we know currently is that the uh, the Directors Guild has a tentative deal in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've completed negotiations. Uh, they have their board has unanimously unanimously approved this deal and it has been kicked down to the membership to then ratify it. So we're still in the process of people voting on it. Uh, and my understanding is there's some pretty large pay raises in there, some guarantees for uh, additional days of production. Um, oh, all right. Uh, some. Protections for a uh, for a director's cut to be made of television shoots. Interesting. Which yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting. There are some. Uh, w- one of the things I saw in their deal that I thought was very promising is a is a a, a a guarantee to honor um, diversity and equity no uh, uh, outreach efforts. So uh, to make sure that they're able to continue finding new diverse voices yeah. to direct projects and uh, and. Of the majority of the major studios have agreed out of their um I guess they have like director's diversity like programs where they okay. like teach uh they teach uh, young okay. directors like how their system works or something they've guaranteed that those students will go on to direct at least one episode of a of a thing so they get hands-on experience immediately that they can then carry on to future projects okay, that's pretty cool yeah and that, this is all information that's relevant or not relevant up to date as of June. 8th or 9th today? Uh, today's the 9th. So yeah, ninth. this is all up to date as of June 9th. Uh, they've also secured the uh, a guarantee from the uh, from the studios that uh, generative AIs like ChatGPT are not a person. So they cannot do directorial work. Uh, however, the specific language of that part of the deal does leave the door open for AI to be involved in productions. They just can't mm-hmm. use it without the studios consulting with the director or um, or another DGA member in a, on a production. Right. Yeah. So that's been a big old sticking point in the craw yeah. of the writers. Which makes sense. Yeah, Jack, I'd love to hear from your perspective as a writer, but also as someone who's been dabbling in the old AI pool, what your I have been. Yeah. True. Yeah, you you've, you've played with 
you've played with chat GPT probably more than mm-hmm. anyone that I know. So that's, so I am, I am curious what your thoughts on that are. I like living in this pretend sci-fi future until it collapses around me. It's actually, it, <laughs> I think I've told you, Scott, that it's my preferred apocalypse. Um, <laughs> hey, gotta get the problem to have the problem. So take it. Yeah. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> that's the spirit. <laughs> Uh, I just want them to know, like, who was on their side from the beginning. Ah, yeah. right. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I've been messing with ChatGPT since pretty much since it's been available to the public. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see how it could be to be applied to, like, I write short stories yeah. uh, and novels. Uh, I'm trying to. Uh, seeing how it is as, like, an editing engine, it's not as good as Grammarly. I have heard that before. Yeah. But Grammarly is expensive. <laughs> so, I've heard that before. <laughs> I I did dick around with it as far as like writing a story. Just curious, to see how it how it do. Um, it it's it doesn't like to scare people. Right, you got into a really interesting back and forth with ChatGPT several times. Yeah, yeah. There was um, one in particular though. If you could, oh, I, I forget if we've talked it? about this on the show or not. But if I you don't think so. There was one about clowns. Yes, that's what um, I'm thinking of. Yeah, so it was like editing my story, just commas and punctuation and stuff. And I was like, you know, you've done a really, you know, you did a, an excellent job, G- ChatGPT. Uh, you can step away from my nightmare fuel. Why don't you write a fun little story about a clown? And it was like, nope. <laughs> I'm like, why not? And it's like, clowns are awful. <laughs> like, what makes you say that? It's like, well clowns scare people and I don't want to scare people. I'm like, that's very considerate of you, but that's not the original intent of a clown. Allow me to. <laughs> <laughs> you had to actually sit down and have like a historical yeah, education yes. session with, like, you gave a little TED talk to, uh, to yeah. chat GPT about clowns. <laughs> and then on the other side of it, it was like, okay, well, if we do give a content warning at the beginning of the story, <laughs> I feel like that's okay. And I was like, that is perfectly fine. I agree with you, ChatGPT. Yeah, we'll I, I love content warning. I love that. And it, then it wrote a terrible story about a clown. Like it wasn't good, but it was still it about was a clown. Still, I remember you I, sending this story, and it was still like somehow suspenseful in like a like it was going to turn into a clown thriller in any second, uh-huh. but then it turned so wholesome at the end. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize um, it became a wholesome was, story. Not like I, a very profound wholesome story, just like. And then they didn't die, and they were That's happy. That's how it always goes. Because of course, I, nice. I also tried to write a porno with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, which, like, the way that the compromise that ChatGPT and I had was instead of saying fucking or sex, was I think baking a pie. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, stupid. <laughs> and like the first draft was pretty good. I'm not gonna lie; it wasn't. It wasn't like well written just real, real was, hot real hot pie it was a lot of it was a lot of in unintended and innuendo from chat gpt ah, that's so good. uh but then i made the mistake of trying to complicate the story um and it like as it is right now ai can't handle like subplots and interpersonal relationships subtext mm-hmm. it's all very surface level um it does not like menage a trois uh it does not like um affairs uh, just <laughs> things to keep in mind if you are also trying to write a porno. Chat GPT is extremely vanilla. I've got yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It did write a sad ending though. To the porn? Yeah. Well, it- see, I had in- introduced this kind of like, um, 
Ah, Christ. Um, I had introduced the subplot of this, this, these best friends who are bakers, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and how they worked side by side, uh-huh. uh, for years and years and Baking years, pies, but we're right. too afraid s- to stamina. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were afraid to admit their feelings, but the one baker was going to get married, uh, and they had a, a like a brilliant night of baking pies. God, it's a home wrecking situation. <laughs> but at the end of it, she still got married to the other guy. Oh no! Yeah, no. Oh well, at least they'll at least they got it wow. out of their system. <laughs> they they'll always have that night they'll of baking always pies. Always have that night of baking yeah. pies. She's more of a cake kind of person. So <laughs> I don't know if that makes everyone feel better about ChatGPT <laughs> as a writer, but so. I guess walk me through the process here. Like, like how how do you like? I've never played around sure. with it. So, like, how how do exactly do you make Chat GPT write a story? Sure. Um, the simpler the better. Uh, so if I hopped on there right now and let's say I wanted to make a story about a horse becoming mayor, um, yeah, that's a, so so a horror story for you, but maybe a whimsical tale for others. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's not gonna. I'm not gonna have to argue with it about a horse mayor story, unlike a clown story. I mean, well, unless it happens to share your aversion to horses, it might. I'll ask it later. Okay. Um, I say, hey, tell me a story about a a horse who becomes mayor, and it would give me like maybe like a paragraph or two, and then I would say like make it so that. The horse mayor is up against a clown opponent, literal literal clown, and then ChatGPT and then we have to have a conversation. Right. Saved the writers' guild. <laughs> You're all welcome. <laughs> it will make up some stuff on its own. Okay. Um, it doesn't make up anything wildly creative. It it's like a lot of stereotype, kind of like cliches. So let's say it, it like popped out a story of mayor horse. Seen all the stories that I would tell, it would never pop up. Like I would say, like Mayor Horse slays entire clown family. That's never going to come out of. No, Chad you're GPT. not really. You're you're not going to. Well, I, I was I was I was going to say you're probably not going to see anyone in the in the WGA try to write that story either. But Dan, Dan Harmon's still around. <laughs> That's true. That, um, yeah, touche. Uh, but it would be like Horse Mayor kisses babies, makes no, town super babies. I, they've got those big human teeth. Um, yep. And like has great policies, su- super awesome horse mayor. Okay, that's the story. And then I would say, add an element of uh, election fraud. And oh no, it would try to implement that. It normally kind of trips over itself. Mm. Sure. Um, the more complex you make it, the more it's going to trip over itself. Much like when I tried to introduce the menage a trois, uh, <laughs> and it it was like. Uh, Okay, it it'll try to loop back to that original concept as much as possible, and just like add a sentence or two to comply with your request. So that's why, like, I haven't been super nervous about ChatGPT or any other any of the AIs taking over for writers. But I know that that's entirely possible. The smarter it gets, the more it learns. That's possible. Yeah, that's. But as of right now, it's pretty. It's interesting dumb. to hear where it's at now and like you're saying i mean ai as we know is going to grow and expand at a rate that we are unaccustomed to with other technology and not just writing but you know cgi vfx editing parts of production you know it's going to affect 
the whole pipeline in a lot of ways eventually. So given where you see where it's at now and that it can grow, what role do you think it should have or shouldn't have in the writer's room and in the process? And where do you think the WGA's kind of stance on this is reasonable? Um, speaking of AI on like a broader scale, I think we as a larger society should just have a basic universal basic income at this point. Like we're going to slowly find ways to through automation and through AI replace a lot of jobs. Yeah. Um, and that's, I'm not even upset with most of that because that would give me more time to do shit. Yeah. Honestly. Uh, yeah. If I didn't have to go to work for 40 hours a week, I could get a whole lot of other shit done. Yeah. Like just, just, just forget like creative work and other shit, just taking care of my human meat suit. <laughs> like yeah. I could take better care of myself as a person. Having stated that, if I were in a writer's room and I was working on a story and I have chat GPT as a tool, which is how I think it's meant to be and how I've used it, um, say I was stuck on a scene and I don't know that I could do this right now, but I think that it's possible in the future that I could say like, hey, here's the scene, compute this, give me six or seven options of how to end this scene based upon what you know. Because ChatGPT is compiled of the internet up until like last year, so it that's that's the da database it's pulling from. So I and I could narrow it down and be like uh, examples of similar scenes from uh, primetime series of 1991 through 95. Uh, it would probably die if I did that right now. But yeah, that's a pretty broad um, uh, search search term there. <laughs> But like I've seen it try. Okay. Like I I I think part of the problem with it right now, if you consider this a problem, is you can only put input so much data before it's like uh. Okay. In in ChatGPT, as far as I'm aware, it doesn't do like art or editing. It's it's all text. Right. Yeah. No. There's um, other there are other ones out there that do like visuals and and uh, and video and whatnot. Yeah. Now, I know that it, at least in the case of the uh, the more visually geared uh, AIs that are out there, they are largely trained on existing images that are out there, whether they are like people's other artworks mm -hmm. or you know open source stuff that's just out in the, out in the public domain. And I know there's like some copyright issues that have that have arisen because of that, because of clear artifacts being popped in. Um, yeah. Well, and that's how ChatGPT operates as well. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure we've all seen the scripts that are the computer-generated story of Batman doing Batman things. And sure. it's, it's hilarious because it's like Batman is a sad who fights a clown wins Gotham. Uh, it's the same technology. It's just come a long way. Mm -hmm. uh, so if I'm using it as a tool... I can have it pull from other stories, which is fine. I think what the writers are probably concerned about is say I made a matrix and it did really well. And Mr. Jerry WB likes that matrix and asks like, Hey, chat GPT, make a matrix, but not called the matrix. And they're worried that like, an entire script will be written without any writer input. Um, which I, I, we are so far away from that, but also not, 
not far enough. Yeah, I think it's the not far enough there that is the bigger concern because I think I think that is a lot of what I see from some of the writers I follow on uh, on Twitter and whatnot. Uh, a lot, a lot of the protest signs that I've seen on the on the picket lines uh, are have said things along the lines of, "I would rather die than edit AI." Uh, oh so, yeah, yeah, yeah so, that I could see that. Yeah, so like rele- relegating writers to just punching up the scripts yeah. that are being churned out by these machines, and I, I feel like there's there is a growing sentiment that that's going to be a very big problem, uh, in particular. Whenever it comes to content creation, we're already starting to see it mm-hmm. because uh, what BuzzFeed shut down their entire news division and are openly talking about just having AI generated stories, which at that point, how do we verify what's actually coming yeah. out of it is real? Because we've seen other instances where it's been caught just making shit up. <laughs> Did you all hear about that? Like uh eating disorder hotline that, uh, Oh, laid off like 200 staff members um, and replaced it with like an AI chat line and uh, very, very quickly shut it down because it was giving horrible advice. It was like the next day they shut, they (laughs) shut the entire hotline down because they they couldn't bring people back fast enough to replace it. But yeah, the AI was giving such horrendous advice to these people with eating disorders that was just like, nope, we can't do this. This is bad. We're going to be held liable for some horrible shit. Here's the thing. There are a lot of AI programs out there Mm. and they are not not all made equal. Mm. No. Like ChatGPT is as far as i'm concerned the gold star but i try to use it sparingly because i also know that there are still humans involved yes there are humans that have to look at the prompt when i'm like write a clown story and that human's like does he want a clown story or is he trying to write some weird like terrorist clown shit uh (laughs) he's in league with the clowns emerging from the forest (laughs) right (laughs) Uh, but like, that's a thing where somebody will like write something deeply inappropriate or violent. Mm-hmm. And then a human person has to look at that prompt and be like, I'm scarred. Please don't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, a lot of those people that are doing that mm-hmm. are like low, very low paid people yes. in, uh, in, uh, somewhere in Africa Yes. who, uh, who also are facing, uh, labor disputes of their own. If I was, if uh, the last I had heard fair, hmm. All right. Uh, I think before we uh, before we move on and start talking about uh, what's going on with uh, the Screen Actors Guild, let's take a quick break. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for uh, joining us for a talk about uh, entertainment labor issues today with the uh, the writers' strike of twenty twenty three. Before we get into what's happening with the Screen Actors Guild, uh, Jack, you prepared some information about the history of writer strikes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I was interested to see. What has happened in the past? Um, how long they've lasted in the past? Uh, there's four strikes in in so far. Okay. Uh, the first was in 1960, and it lasted for 148 days. Jesus. Uh, yeah. So what they got out of it were improved rights and pensions for scriptwriters. Um, they got five percent of their net income from tele- television aired movies. So the there seems to be a trend of as the technology evolves, a strike occurs so that studios are forced to update the contracts in a way that 
doesn't cheat the writers. Right. That That is a running theme, because I think I had talked a little bit about some of that stuff uh, the last time we had talked about writer mm-hmm. strikes. But uh, but yeah, I, I think I, I see where you're going with some of this stuff. Go ahead and continue. The next one was in 1981. It lasted for three months, uh, and it established compensation for pay TV or home VHS. Okay. So that's when VHS was starting to become a thing. I didn't realize how expensive VHSs used to be. They were, yeah, they, they were, were sometimes like, as much as a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you consider like how how like you you we when we were growing up, like you could mm-hmm. buy a bunch of blank VHSs at the at the fucking corner yeah. store for like five bucks, right? And even now, like a a four K or a Blu Ray brand new is usually around like thirty to forty dollars. Yeah. So thinking of a VHS tape as a hundred bucks, like holy shit! It's been, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so the next one was in 1988. This was a, had significant impact on the entertainment industry. Uh, I th- as of right now, it is the longest running. Yes, uh, at 153 days. Uh, so some of these things I understood. Some of these things I did not understand. I'm gonna do my best. Sure, go for it. So. The disagreement was they wanted residuals for hour-long shows. Uh, producers claiming syndication reruns of these shows were performing poorly in, in syndication and wanted to, like, say I wrote a, wrote a show, it was syndicated, it went into syndication. They wanted to drop the percentage that me as a writer would get because it's quote-unquote performing less than its first run. Okay. They ended up – I think this one kind of like leans more towards the studio winning mm. where there's like a bit of a sliding scale. So hmm. I'm going to guess shows that – because there's some shows that have been in reruns and syndication for ever. For decades. For decades. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would imagine that those would get either – would probably get like a higher residual than like a show that, you know, less less popular. There's, there may also be like some kind of time cap on some of those things right, too. Right, 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 um, We We started to talk about this a little bit, uh, about writers wanting to expand their creative rights. They wanted to be able to like be on set. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that I write, but I also direct. Yes. Uh, the one I'm like, no, no, don't do that. Uh, the writers wanted to be able to consult on their choices for actors and directors for some projects. Interesting. Okay. I can see that maybe for television as far as directors go. Like your power as a director on a TV show is much, much less than if it's a like a feature. Sure. But also, no. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's interesting because like some, I know that there are some examples of people writing a thing and like putting in the, putting in like the marginalia or notes, like mm. cast somebody like, X. Yeah, which I think is fine. Right. Like who oh god, was it was it was it we talked about Terry Gilliam doing time, that. Time was, yeah, for time bandits, it was like get someone like Sean Connery and yeah. they just got Sean Connery. Yeah. <laughs> uh the 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 article was really vague as far as the outcome of this. It's like writers gr- gained creative rights. I'm like yes. That's a really the, and and yeah, in, uh, in what sense? But yeah, I, I'm guessing that that means they had a greater presence on set from that point on. That would make sense. 
Because yeah. I know that's become a more regular practice is you have someone yeah. there on set who's able to assist with rewrites, punch stuff up. Uh, if, it, if it turns out that a delivery of a joke's not working the way you thought it would, they can change it or come up with something new on the fly or, you know, or yeah. whatever else. Uh, hell, if if if, uh, if something that was written into the script doesn't isn't actually the right color on set with the actual prop that was made, they can yeah. correct it. So there's some consequences from that particular strike. Yes. Um, ABC found a workaround, which of course, fucking ABC, pure evil, but brilliant. Oh, okay. So, um, <laughs> I I asked Belinda this earlier. She didn't know, but were you aware that Mission Impossible was originally a TV series? Yes, actually. So it was a it was a TV series, I think, in the '60s, mm-hmm. and they still own the rights to those scripts from the '60s. Oh. So what they did is they just re they just filmed it again with like a, a new cast hmm. and like slightly worked reworked the scripts, but not in a way that would violate the strike. Son of a bitch. Yeah, that yeah, that is that is yeah. some evil genius bullshit right there. God, of course, of course, right. it's ABC that pulls ABC, that off. Fucking always mouse. be cooking. <laughs> so, I I hadn't heard this, but apparently, people blame this strike for the kind of creation of uh, reality television. The the eighty eight strike. Yeah, um, that's not true. Hmm. Uh, the kind of boom in live uh, in um, reality TV came. Like a couple of years later. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I imagine it was much more a 90s phenomenon. I think like, I, yeah, when I think of big reality TV, I think of like uh, real world. I think real world, part of me thinks cops. Um, well. Well. It, did I just, what? did I just touch on something? So. Oh, no. 1988 strike didn't cause the creation of reality tv it did cause the creation of cops oh, God damn it. <laughs> which is currently in his 35th season i thought they ended it i, I unless the internet lied to me it's in always 35th be copping season. joe God, fucking damn it always be <laughs> copping uh it it's changed networks a couple times it's changed hands but it's still in production. Oh, wow i i genuinely thought that shit had stopped you well, think with all the losses okay. anyway i will concede uh, this well, other th- for you jack ai can have cops <laughs> <laughs> i want big gross hands Honestly? on flashlights trying to pull people over steering wheel looking all funky <laughs> oh you want them to produce cops from start to finish i thought they were going to write In, the script but enti- no entirely scripts yep. visuals everything I would, I would watch cops if it were entire <laughs> entirely ai generated that with with the stipulation that there has to be at least one eating scene per episode. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> uh, other things that were affected: uh, Halloween Four, the return of Mike Myers, was written in eleven days. Ooh, and it shows. Oh, Boy, does it show! Man, is it better than some of the ones after it that had years to write? Yes, but that's bonkers. It's still bad. <laughs> Ooh. Carpenter wasn't still involved at that point, right? Just like executive producer. Okay. But not creatively. Right. The very important movie, Child's Play, and the other even more important movie, Earth Girls Are Easy. Oh, yeah. Were those also impacted by this strike? They were impacted. Oh, wow. Scripts, scripts got in on time. No writers on set. Yep. that's That was going to be my guess. Mm. 
Uh, and then the one that I, I knew about before I started reading this, Batman 1989 mm-hmm. uh, was impacted by this. The original script was written by Sam Hamm. Uh, <laughs> he, he got the script in. Mm-hmm. However, However, and this still boggles my mind because it, it still happens. It happened in the next one I'm going to talk about yeah. where they'll write a script. It won't be completely finished, but it's quote unquote finished. It's like enough to start shooting. I, I know what you're going to talk about with the next one, but go on. <laughs> and there, so <laughs> I don't know if it's true, but there's this anecdote of uh, at the end of the movie, spoilers for Batman 1989. <laughs> Uh, I think Vicky Vale, Batman. No, Batman's running up the tower to catch up with the Joker. Yeah. And I guess Michael Keaton turned to Tim Burton. There's no script from this point out. He's like, so what am I running what, to? What are we doing? <laughs> well, this was also, because we talked about this, because yeah. uh, this is also John Peters bullshit. Oh, yeah. Because he just like paid for that. this giant, like. Uh, tower, tower yeah. facsimile set and everyone's like well what are we doing like what is going to happen here yeah tim burton's answer was you're you're running towards the end <laughs> you're running Fair. towards a paycheck mr uh, Keaton. yeah <laughs> uh big plot uh change that happened because of this so tim burton from the start wanted uh, Bruce Wayne's parents to be killed by the Joker. Yes. Which is how it is in the film. Yes. Sam Hamm was like, no, that's stupid. That's not how it is in the comics. I won't do it. He So he was going to have a Joe chill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, then, you know, he was on strike, yeah. so he didn't have any say. Yep. Um, and you know who was not on strike? Tim Burton. This also is true. Also John Peters. Also John Peters. <laughs> British writers. Oh, yeah. Oh, fucking British scabs. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. So that's how the Joker killed Christmas parents. Huh. Was uh, the writer's With scabs. <laughs> Got it. With scabs. Fascinating. <laughs> I, I'll never look at that movie the same. Uh, <laughs> then the the one that that happened uh, in in our young adulthood. 2007, uh, 2008. Correct. Lasted 100 days. Nice uh, round number. Yeah. 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 Oh, that was considerate for historians. <laughs> this one was over DVD residuals this time. That was a big part of it, yeah. They had still been using the old formula for VHS. Uh, however, DVDs, not being $100 a piece, way outsold VHSs. Oh, yeah. The result, nothing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was dropped. Yeah. Uh, I think the only the only thing hmm. that they got out of that strike, if I remember correctly, was... Um, uh, jurisdiction over streaming production, correct? Which is why we ended up with such great shows like Str- like Stranger Things, mm-hmm. like uh, you know, Legacy aside, House of Cards, <laughs> just yeah. So the agreement was that Netflix, Amazon, all these streaming services were required to use union writers, yes, instead of just whoever whoever walked in off yeah. the street, <laughs> yeah. We already talked about the animation department, how that didn't really work out. Right. Do you, do you want to know, can you guess rea- what reality TV show tried to unionize? Oh, God. Um, it's 2006, if that matters. I'm trying to think what was what were the big reality shows in 2006. Was it The Apprentice? 
America's Next Top Model. Oh, okay, okay. The writers tried to unionize and were all fired. <sighs> Fucking retaliation. Yeah. Uh, Shit's supposed to be illegal. So, uh, and that's where we are. Now that that brings us up to current. Mm-hmm. That brings us up to now. So something that you that you didn't mention there that I thought you were going to mention was a, a film that was impacted by the 2007-2008 oh, yeah. oh writer's strike. Uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. That one and Quantum of Solace are the two that stick <laughs> and, out. Well, I learned, I learned a little bit more about uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine recently. Uh, <laughs> literally the entire reason that they did Deadpool the way that they did uh-huh. was because he hadn't actually been written into the like incomplete script that they had done that they had going into the production. So when they decided to throw him in and put Ryan Reynolds in this role, they realize they realized too late, like, oh, when he actually becomes Deadpool, we don't yeah. have any lines for him. So that's why Deadpool doesn't have a mouth. Even though he famously doesn't shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. Like that's yeah. his whole fucking thing. That's why that that's why that happened. Because they they they, wow. they didn't want to just ad lib that makes things or have Ryan Reynolds it. improv for whatever reason. But he does that. That's the thing he's good well, at. He does do that, but he did improv the line, okay, people are dead <laughs> earlier in the film. So Okay. Not as, <laughs> he had his chance. Not and... his best work. <laughs> like Ryan, you're yeah, but that, but that that's why they fucked Deadpool up so bad, and that's w- largely why people were clamoring for a yeah. real Deadpool movie, and why Ryan Reynolds was able to get that off the ground eventually. Interesting. Um, which is again relevant because as it so just so oh, happens, no. <laughs> a Deadpool movie featuring Wolverine is going into production like it's right now. Cursed. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the difference is they have a they actually have a finished script this yeah. time, and That's they, good. yeah, it's just that Ryan Reynolds can't improv because he's a writer and producer oh, on it. No. So it's it is against strike rules for him as a member of the WGA to improv. To improv. Oh. He cannot improv at all during this, so everything has to be as written. So it's gonna be good. So you better. It, it, who knows? Hey, maybe we find maybe we find out Ryan Reynolds' improv has actually been a massive detriment this whole time. <laughs> uh, I I do have to say I'm a bit of a quantum of solace apologist. Well, you've mentioned that before. I don't. I haven't seen it yet. I don't think. I well, every time I mention it, someone like yeah, I'd like to go back and actually watch that. They go don't don't watch it, and you're the only person why. that says no, watch it. Well, at the end of Casino Royale. Mr. Bonds is in a pretty bad place emotionally. Yes. So he spends a lot of the second movie brooding. And he doesn't fuck anybody because he's brooding. He, see, I'm fine with that. <laughs> yeah. That, that does not sound Quantum terrible. of Solace is just code for incel. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, he gets better by Skyfall. As yeah, far as, you know, he, as, he, far as he, fuck it. Yeah, it's Skyfall colon how James Bond got his groove back. <laughs> Visit dead parents. Yeah. <laughs> killed by the Joker. Killed by the Joker. <laughs> killed killed, killed by scabs, Jack. Killed by scabs. scabs. <laughs> now this is a revenge story I can get behind. Yes. Oh God. Uh so 
that actually uh, brings uh, brings us to where we are today. Uh, mm. you know, mentioning, you know, bringing up Deadpool. Uh, the newest development that we've had outside of the DGA deal is that uh, it is time for SAG to start their negotiations. Oh yeah, and they've literally begun negotiations this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have three weeks until their uh, until their contract expires uh, on June thirtieth, and. Their membership has voted to authorize a strike, uh, so that might not mean they go on strike. Okay, but they but if if a deal isn't met, they will. Gotcha. Now, the interesting thing about this is so, right, so when when the Writers Guild voted to authorize their strike, they the yes votes were about. Ninety-seven point eight five percent of the vote. Mm-hmm. It's like unprecedentedly high. SAG outdid them just a little bit. Really, ninety-seven point nine one percent. Now, I will add the caveat that there was much a much smaller proportion of SAG's overall membership that voted yeah. compared to the Writers Guild's overall membership. Mm-hmm. I think I think WGA uh, was a like a seventy eight and some change percent uh, turnout for that vote, and for uh, and for SAG it was a um, around a forty seven percent. So it was overall much smaller portion of their of their total membership, but that doesn't matter. They right. everybody had weeks pretty much to come to turn yeah. out and vote for this damn thing. I imagine it's probably a lot of studio politics. Probably a lot of studio politics, but uh, there's also a lot of crossover between WGA and SAG. Gotcha. And also, even even outside of that, just a lot of solidarity between the two, because yeah. there there have been a lot of writers turning or a lot of actors turning up on the picket lines over the course of uh, over the course of these weeks. Yes. Um, in particular, I know I've seen a lot of Chris Pine. I've seen. Uh, some members of the various current Star Trek shows out there. <laughs> I forget who else offhand, but there's, yeah. been, there's been a lot, a lot of actors just you know jumping out in solidarity. You think Brian Cranston maybe? Brian Cranston, yeah. I th- I think. Yeah. I, don't know. I know Bob Odenkirk's been out there a lot, yeah. but I'm pretty sure he's also WGA. That would make sense. Yeah. yeah. And this is, from what I understand, this is reason why this writer's strike is not going to end anytime soon is because mm-hmm. both the DGA and the SAG contracts were up at the end of this month. And, uh, we're about to talk to the writers until either of those were resolved. Exactly. And with SAG that is, that's a- possibly about to go on strike, this could be a situation for a long time. It could it, it could either go, like it could either turn out that SAG strikes a deal and things start to wrap, start to move toward a wrap up sooner than we anticipate. Or it could be that SAG goes on strike, and this gets drawn out for a while, and we really see the crunch on Hollywood at that point. Yeah, yeah. So Scott, how does this impact you directly? Directly, not that much, since the union environment in in Portland is pretty sparse especially right now. Um, but indirectly it kind of, you know, impacts the entire industry where if some of the, you know, longstanding union members in the area are not getting on uh, union jobs, they're looking for other work and those mid tier and those other non-unionized shows, um, 
will be more in demand, etc. Um, and it, it just so there's such a, a complicated relationship between all the unions and the guilds and AMTPT that even I don't really understand it. But you know, a lot of things are being shut down across the country that aren't just WGA related productions because the strike is against it's strike it's not the DGA going on strike it's a strike against the AMPTP so any AMPTP signatories can be struck but it's since it's just the WGA you know of course there are all kinds of creative things that like we're talking about with some of these other strikes that they're trying to use but basically since DGA is not going on strike IATSE is not on strike and I think D- DGA and SAG and IATSE, I think they all have no strike clauses, which basically just means if you're still in a good contract, you can't strike. You have to continue yeah. to perform your work duties as contracted. Which is pretty standard, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the Writers Guild had one as well. It's just that their their contract expired earlier than the other guilds. Correct. Correct. So... But you are also um, you are also supposedly safe that if you do not cross a picket line, you will not be uh, you know reprimanded, fired, etc. So if yes. WGA is picketing a show, any show that you're working on, you have the right to not cross the picket line, even if it's not directly related to WGA you know, show duties or anything like that. So IATSE, Teamsters, any other workers of these productions have the choice, basically. They are allowed to cross the picket line or they can not. So, you know, we've heard stories about these big shows in New York being shut down by three people with picket signs because the rest of the crew is standing across the street going, well, (laughs) Right. Sorry. If they, if if there's one person there with a picket sign, that's a picket line. Yep. And Teamsters in particular, I know, take that super serious. I think they we will not cross. We really have to talk about Teamsters. Um, and especially Lindsay Doherty. Are you are you all familiar with Lindsay? A little bit. No. For what exactly are Teamsters responsible for? So Teamsters is a really large organization. Film work is only part of what they do, but we'll just talk about that. Teamsters basically also have a number of of crafts and trades. A lot of it is transportation related. So truck drivers uh, in particular are the big ones. You know, any of these big union shows have a gazillion million trucks that are showing up to the studios, to locations, yada, yada, yada. Um, So logistics, transportation, like location managers, prop warehouses, that kind of stuff. Those are all uh, people that belong to Teamster locals. Um, and, you know, Teamsters have a, a very long storied history with labor organization. Um, sure do. But Lindsay Doherty, or Doherty, I'm sorry if I'm not saying their name correctly, but she's a leader of the Los Angeles film section of Teamsters. And certified badass. Like <laughs> basically day one of the WGA strike, um, she was like, Great, those trucks aren't going anywhere. Fuck all of y'all. Hmm. <laughs> um 
And if the trucks don't go anywhere, then like it's not happening. Yeah. So that only applies to Los Angeles, Los Angeles to her jurisdiction, but that's you right. know, a lot of business. Um, you know, she's she's got like a Jimmy Hoffa tattoo. She's God damn it. She's just telling studios <laughs> oh, to amazing. go fuck themselves. But it's you know, it is drawn into this um notion of of people having their choice of whether they continue to work or not because people you know are relying on going from one union show to the next in order to make ends meet um and with these different unions and different guilds it can be kind of easy to disconnect from the other you know uh people in IATSE that are grips or whatever you know think of writers as being in their ivory tower and the Teamsters think of everyone being in their ivory tower, you know. So <laughs> for her to be so strongly uh, of the perspective of like, if if writers are getting fucked, we're all getting fucked. And, you know, they're going to step on all of us the same way, especially as other, other contracts come up. You know, it's going to be everyone else's turn eventually. So there's there's a lot of discussion in the local community, in the greater film community of, you know, trying to navigate these things, judgment on both sides. Um, you know, obviously people that are crossing picket lines are being, uh, judged pretty harshly, um, for good reason. But at the same time, you know, people that are insisting that they can't work are being threatened as well. And yeah, a lot of it is, is, you know, studios, they want to divide us. They want to make everyone focus on their own needs and that we don't have much in common because that is how they will win. And they're doing so many funny, so many reports of like funny things that are happening. You know, the strikers and the picket organizers, they want to have information on when productions are happening, where, you know, they're asking people to send them call sheets and stuff like that. So productions are doing all kinds of like crazy things where they send out a call sheet the night before and then, you know, 4 a.m. the morning of, they send out the real call sheet. Oh, well, hold up. <laughs> yep. Last minute update, guys. Um, and all kinds of things that are, uh, yeah, get into some contract sketchiness with other unions and stuff like that. But yeah, they will, you know, we know they will do anything they can to just keep the ball rolling and they know that they can as we've seen in 2008 they can basically wait them out there's plenty so you, of people that need work enough to keep things going in the meantime do you feel that the studios not that there's like a winner and loser for every strike but do you feel like the studios won the 2006-2007 strike I think that's I think that's fair to say um, you know, each time it's not like the writers or whoever is getting nothing. There's something is changing and mm -hmm. that's better than nothing, but certainly the, the rate at which we're getting concessions is far outweighed by the rate at which conditions and pay and residuals for writers and stuff like that. None of that is happening at the same you know, rate that it's keeping up with cost of living and, you know, working conditions and stuff like that for 
a modern society. You know, we're still following archaic rules from medieval ages. So, I mean, when the IATSE contract happened uh, a couple years ago, it was same kind of thing where it's like, we're not going to stop until we, oh, two things? Okay. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Thanks for not completely fucking us. You've just fucked us a good amount. Because yeah, that one was like, IATSE was ready to strike because it was like a 98% authorization, mm. I think, uh, on, on that one back in 2021. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people were pretty unhappy with the outcome of that, but at the same time, a lot of people are happy that they don't have to close their pocketbooks for three months. So they, and you know, the studios, studios know that. Yeah. Nobody wants to have to do these things, but at the same time, something needs to be done to be able to protect your livelihood. Right. You know, I think that's like where a lot of disconnect can happen between the different unions and guilds is like, Oh, of course writers are going on strike. Like they can afford to, or, you know, of course DGA signed a deal when everyone else is, you know, trying to get theirs because they don't, they don't need to get that much more, you know? So that's kind of where the studios want you to focus on the victories and the concessions and, um, you know, the rest of us just want to see all of us get across the finish line in some moderate pace. Most people, you know, just want to continue working. That's what that's what we want to do. But we'd also like to be able to continue working in a way that's sustainable for the entire industry. Exactly. And that's what a lot of it comes down to, especially whenever it comes to the particular concessions that the Writers Guild is looking for this time. Because the way a lot of people feel about it is they're fighting for the viability of this as a career moving forward. Absolutely. You know, so much of the industry is volatile and shifting to begin with that any concession that allows people to make a career of of being a writer all the way down to, you know, being a prop assistant, like... All of that should have a viable, sustainable career path. And if the game is constantly shifting due to technology, et cetera, every 20 years, then, you know, that has to continuously be fought for as we see record-breaking profits come out of these executives every year. You know, we're talking about, we're fighting for scraps over these Netflix residuals and stuff like that and um, the streaming contracts with IATSE and stuff like, oh, that was different. You know, it was this new, new brave pioneering horizon that we're all trying to just see if it works, you know? And then after like the five years running of record breaking profits for executives, like, you know, I think it's working for somebody. Maybe if we um, didn't pretend that this was an experiment yeah, like the well, some of the, like some of the uh, the figures of that some of these CEOs are making for, for the studios are like astronomically high, and the amount of money that's being brought into the studios, especially like over the money they made over COVID and all that, like and you know people want to make a big deal out of like oh they lost theatrical revenue, they lost this and that, but they made a ton of revenue in streaming subscriptions and video on demand purchases and so on and so forth. Like they still 
brought in so much more money than people anticipated and keep bragging about a lot of these profits. Meanwhile, it's not like the the fraction of that that the writers are asking for mm-hmm. is suddenly too much. And it's interesting because I sent you guys an article earlier today. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a vulture piece titled The Binge Purge. Uh, did you have a chance to read that? I read some I of did that. not. Yeah. So the thing that really struck me in there is um, the way it breaks down. They interviewed like several uh, several people who either were executives at various studios or streamers or were at studios and then moved on to streamers or people who were showrunners or writers. And like the way things unfolded when Netflix broke big and – you know, like for so long, there was this this like symbiosis that was working very well, where Netflix would Netflix and other streamers would pay the studio the big studios licensing fees to get their content, right. and that was bringing in a lot of money. It was a very lucrative system for the studios until they decided, hey, we can do that, right? And they and then they they thought they could just make their own Netflix without there being a, a consequence, without you know, with and they would have the same growth. That Netflix had like they would just recreate the exact same thing instead, you know, instead of what actually happened, and they recreated the the the, the they, re, they basically recreated cable, <laughs> yeah, with mm-hmm. all these different packages and all these different Pretty systems. Neat. It's just exactly what we were tr- what we had been trying to move away from with streaming with cord cutting. They made these like income and revenue issues like a problem all of their own accord. <laughs> And even so, they still managed to find enough to pay these extravagant, gargantuan salaries to their executives. I would like to ask ChatGPT how to get rid of the executives. <laughs> I'm pretty sure ChatGPT then reports you to David Zaslav specifically. <laughs> I think so. Can hmm. ChatGPT, like, you know, not say it with words, but like, maybe with like ASCII art, like, Print out a guillotine, you know? <laughs> oh, God. If ChatGPT gets into ASCII art, can you imagine? I'd like to think its its first piece of art would be a guillotine. <laughs> we can only hope. Uh, consider me sold. <laughs> Jack, are you trying? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to re-log in. Fantastic. Oh my God. All right. I, I think that about sums up like what's going on with this and why this has been a big deal and why it will continue to be a big deal for the coming weeks. Um, I know I'm going to be watching the uh, news about the SAG negotiations as closely as possible. There is a media blackout on the specifics of what's happening with the, the negotiations, as is usually the case with. <laughs> it gave a very. Uh, detailed and lengthy answer. Oh, okay. Let me finish my thought and then I want to hear this. Uh, Yeah, it is customary for there to be a media blackout in the midst of the negotiations, but time's a ticking. There's only a few weeks here for SAG to be able to work, uh, for SAG and the AMPTP to be able to work something out. And if not, we could be seeing a historic summer for uh, for organized labor in the entertainment industry. Uh, Jack, what what did ChatGPT have to say? So uh, it's 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 words I don't understand. I have a theater degree. Um, 
but it would it would be uh do you want me to read it yeah here you go here, let me see here. <laughs> i like comic books okay so jack asked how would you remove tv executives entirely Removing TV executives entirely would require a significant restructuring of the television industry and its decision-making processes. While it's not possible to provide an exhaustive plan for such a restructuring, I can suggest a hypothetical approach that would minimize the influence of TV executives. One, transition to decentralized platforms. Hmm. Emphasize the growth of decentralized platforms where content creators have direct access to audiences. This could involve promoting streaming services video sharing platforms, and independent production companies that allow creators to bypass traditional TV networks. Two, empower content creators. Focus on empowering content creators by providing them with more creative control and ownership of their work. This can be done through fair contracts, profit-sharing models, and increased transparency and distribution and revenue-sharing processes. <laughs> Chat GPT fucking woke? Is that what's happening right here? <laughs> Comrade Chat GPT over here. <laughs> <laughs> Three, audience-driven programming. Implement mechanisms to gauge audience preferences and interests more accurately. This can involve using advanced analytics and data-driven insights to make programming decisions, relying on audience feedback, and conducting surveys to determine viewers' needs and preferences. Four, peer review panels. Establish peer review panels composed of industry professionals, including writers, directors, actors, and critics. These panels could evaluate and provide feedback on, proposal, uh, on proposed content, ensuring a diverse range of perspectives and reducing the concentration of decision-making power in the hands of a few executives. Five, industry-wide collaboration. Foster collaboration among industry stakeholders, including content creators, producers, distributors, and advertisers. Encourage partnerships that prioritize creativity, quality, and diversity, aiming to create an environment where decisions are made collectively rather than solely by executives. Six, Jesus Christ, transparent funding models. Develop transparent funding models that provide financial support directly to content creators, bypassing the traditional funding and commissioning processes. This could involve government grants, crowdfunding programs, yes. uh, or investments from organizations that prioritize independent and innovative content. Suck it, Ronald Reagan. Six, seven. <laughs> and finally, seven, support independent media outlets. Encourage the growth of independent media outlets and networks that prioritize diverse voices and perspectives this could include or this could this could involve providing in financial incentives creating regulatory frameworks that promote competition and allocating public broadcasting funds to support independent content creation it's important to note that completely removing tv executives may have both positive and negative consequences <laughs> While it could potentially lead to more creative freedom and diverse programming, it could also result in challenges related to quality control, funding, and commercial viability. Balancing the benefits and drawbacks could, would be crucial in any significant restructuring of the television industry. Well, it's not ASCII art, but damn if it didn't have some points. So, like, welcome to Drazzle, the podcast that takes <laughs> award-winning worst TV executives and fixes them. <laughs> that's That's got to be a spinoff series. <laughs> <laughs> oh, second, second unit's gonna go some places next season. Good lord! <laughs> Chat gorilla oh, proletariat tactics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can see why I kind of like them, right? Oh god! I, a yes, B Scott. Thank you for the episode title. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, uh, happy provide. Uh, someone's got to do it while PGA oh, is on strike. <laughs> Uh, Scott, do you have any uh, any final thoughts here uh, before we wrap up? Uh, you know, just if 
you're a consumer at home and you're wondering whose side you should be taking on this, just remember that the AMPTP, they're not people. They're a bargaining collection of studios. Well, yeah, that's, hmm. that's accurate. All on the same side, made to bargain against workers. That's the reality. That's that's the reality. So, yeah, hope everyone stays strong out there. I know times are going to be tough for a lot of people. And uh, hopefully things will get resolved in a positive manner soon. Hell yeah. And if they do, more good content for everyone else at home. Woo. I am a little sad that we don't have Conan O'Brien to fall back on during this yeah, strike, though. That was, was pretty helpful. a highlight of the last <laughs> one. Uh, but regardless, you know, we, we definitely support the writers in the, in their efforts here. And should SAG also, uh, decide to strike, we will support them in that as well. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put some links in the episode description to, uh, ways that you can help the writers if you were so inclined to do. Awesome. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. Jack, any, any, uh, any final thoughts? Um, so it'll be SAG-AFTRA. Yes. Will the theater actors also be striking then? Uh, hmm. Like, will that shut down that's... any any um, theatrical production that's primarily made up of union actors? That's a good question. I guess. Hmm. Oh. Yeah, I think. I guess. I guess it would. You know who will know? Rob. Rob would probably know. Yeah. yeah Rob, if you, you remember from our cats episode, um, from He's... season one, he he would probably know. Not that it. When when is the the vote? Or when when is the um when would they be going on strike? End of the month. Um, end of the, the month. month. Yeah, okay. yeah. Their their contract expires June thirtieth, so okay. like midnight July first. <laughs> okay, because he's uh direct directing a production of Sylvia, and I know the lead in it. One of the leads in it is Union. Oh, okay. But I think it'll close before then. Right. So, fair. Right, yeah, so. I'll ask him. Yeah. All right, uh, Scott. Do you have anything that you would like to promote? No. All the, right. The death of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I will say it, it, it's funny you should mention that, Jack. It did make me often. Qu- uh, <laughs> it makes me, it always like warms my heart a little bit to remember that he died during Pride Month. I didn't uh, know that. <laughs> oh yeah, Reagan died during during June. Uh, uh, so did Pat and, Robertson, so, and so did yeah. fucking Pat Robertson. <laughs> yes. So that happy Pride, everybody. <laughs> Not to bring things down before we leave, but. You realize that one of the points that ChatGPT made was that the government's able to kind of subsidize money for artists was in place for a very long time until, until Ronald Reagan. Until Ronald Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. 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 So, Fuck him. Fuck that guy. What, what's how, how you say rest in piss? Rest in piss, I believe, yeah, is, uh, is, is. Yes. Mm. Uh, yeah. Thank you, everybody, for joining us here tonight. Uh, happy Pride Month, everybody. And go ooh, workers. Ooh, and come back next time for our. And come back. Season finale, for part one of our season finale next week. Yeah. That that is correct. We will be starting our coverage of Blonde. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. That's the correct reaction, <laughs> Scott. Uh, Scott, have you seen Blonde? No. Oh man. And I'm mostly upset about this because now you're going to make me do that, aren't you? Indirectly, I, I would. I I'm. I yeah. Indirectly, yeah. I, I, I would not I, possibly. I would not force you to watch it, but we are going to talk about it extensively. So well, you know I have to be involved in the conversation. You should also read the book. 
that's not I need to start that audiobook. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we will be coming back, coming in strong to end season two with that. Uh, so yeah, we hope you we hope you join us for that. And then we'll be taking a brief break before we come back strong for season three. Reminder that we have the uh, unofficial Willem Dafoe Bad Art Film Festival that we are going to be holding next year. So if you have questions about that, submissions are not open, of course, yet. Yeah. But uh, if you have questions about that, please email us at derazzledpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be happy to talk to anybody about that. Uh, if you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Twitter at derazzledpod, Facebook at derazzledpodcast, Instagram and TikTok at derazzled underscore podcast. Uh, and I think that about covers everything. Yeah, we'll have we'll have full notes on the film festival at the end at the end of part two of Blonde. Correct. Yes. All right. So uh, thank you all for coming again, and uh, be sure to check us out next time. Where, as always, we will be sure to razzle dazzle, razzle dazzle, yeah, razzle. That was in absolutely in sync. <laughs> Got it in one. <laughs>